Saturdays, a six-foot penis and a picture of Muhammad. What do these have in common? How in the world do those three items come together? Well, the reason they came together is it's all based upon two words, religious freedom. And Dr. Erica Lopez Prater found out very quickly how best intentions can all of a sudden flip on you and you can end up losing your job. Let me explain. Dr. Erica Lopez Prater is the adjunct professor at Hamlin University in St. Paul, Minnesota. One of the classes that she teaches is an online course entitled Global Art History. Now, she realized that when it comes to art and showing a picture of Muhammad, that that is a controversial issue within Islam itself. So she took many precautions before showing a 14th century painting of Islam's founder. Now, here's the precautions. Number one, she put it in her syllabus. For those of you maybe who are not aware of that word syllabus, what it is, is it's basically a description of the course, expectations in the course, an outline of what will be covered in the course. So, she's, so you give that every year to those in, the, in your class. You also submit it to the administration. Well, she did that. And in this syllabus, she warned that in the course, there would be images of holy figures, including the prophet Muhammad, as well as Buddha. She also mentioned that if students had any concern whatsoever, that they would contact her. No one did. The second precaution she took was actually in the class the day of that she showed this 14th century picture. So she prepped the students ahead of time, telling them that in a few minutes, the painting was going to be displayed, and in case anyone wanted to leave, turn off their, their screen so they didn't see the image, she would be able, they would be able to do that. And that's exactly what Dr. Prater did. She did that, showed the image. However, there was one student in the class, a senior, who saw the picture and was offended. And she had complained to the administration. But word got out, and there were other Muslim students in the course, I mean, not in the course, who supported this student. And they said that basically the class showing that picture was an attack on their religious freedom. And they demanded that administration would take action. And that's exactly what the administration did. They told Dr. Lopez Prater that she no longer had a job. She would not be needed the next semester to teach. Also, the administration sent out emails. Emails to the students, emails to the faculty. In one of those emails to the faculty, the president, Dr. Miller, said the following, that respect for the Muslim students should have superseded academic freedom. Dr. Miller went on and said, to look upon an image of the Prophet Muhammad for many Muslims is against their faith. Now again, that's a key word, please pay attention to. To look upon the image of the Prophet Muhammad for many 
Muslims. He didn't say all. He said many. That is against their faith. So it was important that our Muslim students, he continues, as well as other students, feel safe, supported, and respected both in and out of our classrooms. Again, key word, many Muslims. The ramifications of this became national. Word got out very quickly. Everyone took a side not only within the school, but also different organizations that support religious freedom got involved. What I do find fascinating is that on January 18th, not very, much, not very far in the past, Hamline University retracted its characterization of an adjunct professor as Islamic phobic. That's what they had deemed her. That she was an Islamophobe. Think about that. To have that accusation put against you. And then to have it recanted. What's interesting, however, is Dr. Lopez, on the very day that the school recanted their position, it was also the day that she filed suit against the university in a Minnesota district court. The suit... It alleges that religious discrimination and defamation. I mean, this thing got wild real quick. Not only did the president recant, but also the chairwoman of Hamline University uh, Board of Trustees, Ellen Waters, said the following, based on all that we have learned, we have determined that our usage of the term Islamophobic was therefore flawed. There are two major issues to, for me that are at play here. Two issues that go far beyond just this one incident. We are seeing more and more of these issues come into play. Number one, academic freedom. Number two, religious freedom. Here we go. Number one, academic freedom. Well, when the, the professors at the university heard of what had happened to Dr. Prater, they were not happy. So 40 of them got together and signed a letter to present to the Board of Trustees. Two also professors, making it a total of 42, were anonymous when they signed it because they were afraid of keeping their job. I mean, that alone, to be afraid to make a statement that because you're afraid of the repercussions that really ties back into academic freedom. This is what they said in part of that letter. Many faculty at Hamlin include content in their courses that may be considered controversial. The university's administration's conclusion that respect, decency, and appreciation of religious and other differences should supersede academic freedom has had a chilling effect on all of us who are working to help our students to become critical thinkers and thoughtful, engaged citizens. I mean, there's the issue right there. In an academic setting, it's more than just learning facts and information. It's about acquiring a skill. 
the skill of critical thinking, to be thoughtful, and then to be able to talk to other people. So in the midst of a society that is becoming more and more polarized, hopefully students are coming out of our educational institutions and they've learned to think critically, but they've also learned to listen to other people's opinions and be able to state clearly and succinctly their own position. The letter acknowledged that Muslim students on campus may feel discrimination, but argued that the university, after long neglecting their complaints, Muslim students' complaints, overcompensated in this instance by targeting an untenured adjunct professor. And again, there seems to be evidence to support that. Would this have happened to a tenured professor? Would this have happened to a full-time professor? But the professors at Hamlin University weren't the only ones that expressed concern. Notice what it says. When Dr. Safi, who is professor of Asian and Middle Eastern Studies at Duke University, when he says the following, students don't have to give up their values, but some part of the educational process does call for stepping beyond each one of our own vantage points enough to know that none of us has the monopoly of truth. Think about that. Academic freedom. Freedom for professors to teach and to share ideas that may be troubling, that may create angst within the students. But if you don't teach them, students, how to think critically and to be able to be exposed to different ideas than their own, different values and principles that may not be comfortable for them to hear. But if you're not willing to do that in the educational setting, where will you learn these things? I was a professor for about 13 years. And during that time, I taught at a religious liberal arts college. One of the things that I discovered was that in my field, in the field of religion, this again, please understand, it was private religious, liberal arts. So they had every right to determine what would or would not be taught. But one of the things that that college emphasized was critical thinking. Again and again, teaching our students critical thinking. One of the things I discovered in my research or reading as a professor was that to really do critical thinking, to help your students acquire that ability, you have to be very careful as a professor, sharing your own opinion. Whether we like it or not, in an academic setting, at college, universities, the professor is seen as an authority. If soon as you state your opinion, your view, you've swayed, you've biased your students. Because it's very difficult for many students at a, that's this formative stage in their development of college for them to actually take a strong stance against the professor. And on top of that, they also have pressure of getting a grade. 
And the professor is the one who gives the grade. So to speak out against that, you're taking a chance that the professor may mark you down because you took a position opposite of him or her. So I decided that I would be very careful about stating my own personal opinions. And that's what got me in trouble. Because they wanted me to teach critical thinking and yet at the same time to indoctrinate. I remember being told, teach the students critical thinking. Ask them questions. Encourage them to ask questions. Expose them to different ideas. But in the end, give them the right answer. How, how is that critical thinking? One of the reasons why they said this to me was there were parents who were sending their children to that school, and they were paying high tuition. And the last thing they wanted was their students, their, their children graduated, graduating, and not necessarily believing what mom and dad do anymore. Academic freedom is essential to the educational process. And it doesn't matter what areas. One in particular is being exposed to new ideas, to understand that people see things differently. Even people who believe the same thing you do still may have differences than you. How do you navigate through those differences that other people have? That's where academic freedom comes in because those professors then have the freedom to expose them. And the thing is, too, that many of these courses in global art, they do show images of the Prophet Muhammad. And it's never been an issue. And that brings us into the second issue that I think this particular occurrence arises for us and that is religious freedom. We're gonna address that right after this break. Religious freedom. The First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says that everyone in the United States, everyone, has the right to practice his or her own religion or no religion at all. Recently, over the last couple years, we have seen court cases move all the way up to the Supreme Court on what is considered to be someone's right when it comes to religious freedom. What can they do? What can they not do? What can they be pressured into doing? When does that violate their religious freedoms? Well, Christiane Gruber wrote in Nude Lines magazine entitled, An Academic is Fired Over a Medieval Painting of the Prophet Muhammad. Christine Gruber says the following, the problem that Hamlin University got into was that they made a presupposition that 
Islam does not have or that it prohibits figural representations of the prophet. Now, remember what I said at the very beginning, where the president said, many Muslims. Well, I think Christiana Gruber is onto something when she points out that there are, the assumption is that all Muslims would see this exactly the same. Now, Islam traditionally has been a religion that is largely aniconic, meaning they are lacking in figural images. However, not all Muslims see that equally. Mark Berkson, who is a religion professor at Hamlin University, says the following, What does one do when the Islamic community itself is divided on an issue? Because there are many Muslim scholars and experts and art historians who do not believe that this was Islamophobic. In fact, the person who drew the painting that was displayed in that online course was a Muslim. There are many Muslims who draw pictures, who paint pictures of Muhammad so that other people could revere them. Dr. Omid Safi, a professor of Asian and Middle Eastern studies at Duke University, said again, he regularly shows images of the Prophet Muhammad in class and he explains to his students that these images were works of devotion created by pious artists at the behest of devout rulers. That's the part I want my students to grapple with, Dr. Safi said. How does, one, how does something that comes from the very middle of the tradition end up being received later on as something marginal or forbidden? Even within Islam, there are questions, there are different opinions on can someone view an image of Muhammad? And just because someone draws that image, paints that image, or looks at that image, does that automatically make them Islamophobic? Is that then violating the religious freedom of another individual? For example, what about those Muslims in that course who wanted to see or were okay with seeing the picture? Could they have, could they have concluded that their religious freedoms, that they were treated unfairly because out of all the pictures that they showed in that global arts course, out of all those pictures, not one of Muhammad. Again, it, it's, the assumption is that if everyone believes the same, but it's not that simple. There is diversity. And so what is religious freedom for one could be seen as a, a religious inhibited, inhibiting someone be, because they see things differently. So when is it a violation of one's religious freedoms? Choosing to bake or not bake a cake? I mean, how many issues have gone to Supreme Court? One we talked about earlier on this, these podcasts was prayer at a, or at a public school event. 
on a public school property. How about this one? There was an atheist activist who wants to install a six-foot-tall sculpture of a pink penis in nine Florida cities that have annual Christmas displays. Chaz Stevens is that atheist activist, argues that the First Amendment requires them also to display his penis sculpture, which he says is inspired by Shinto Still Fallus fertility festivals. He then lays the gauntlet down. If the city refuses, he will sue them for religious discrimination. Again, when is it a violation of one's religious rights, their freedom? Again, go back to what we said about the First Amendment, that everyone in the United States has the right to practice his or her own religion or no religion at all. I mean, we are such a diverse people. We have different views when it comes to religion or no, for those who have no religion. So how do we resolve this? Well, I, I don't have the answer, and I can't do that for sure in 30 minutes. But I can offer you this. One word. Curiosity. What would happen if each of us became a little bit more curious about what other people believe? Especially those who believe differently than you. Imagine if you had been in that class and you heard that this one individual became very upset and went in to the administration, ended up getting that professor fired. You're one of those students in the class who had no problem seeing it, Muslim or non-Muslim, doesn't matter. It's so easy at that point to just make this quick decision and and say, oh, she was wrong, or she was right, rather than being curious and actually stopping and wondering why that was so important to her. What was it about her beliefs? Was it just beliefs, or was there something also psychologically and emotionally involved for this person? What motivates us? to make the choices that we do when it comes to religion. Again, think about the individual who refused to bake a cake, a wedding cake for the LGBTQ individuals. What was, what, are we curious at all? Are we, I mean, it's one thing to hear it on this level, but are we curious to, what is it? If someone holds that deep of a conviction, that deep of a view, it's got to be more than just an intellectual decision. There's got to be something in here, within them, that compels them to take this kind of action. Are we willing to be curious about what it is that motivates other people to make the decisions they do, in particular when it comes to religious beliefs? If we have that kind of curiosity, then out of that curiosity will come dialogue. We'll start asking each other's questions. 
Questions, not leading questions, questions where we refuse to listen to the answer, but truly be interested in what that person is thinking and what they are feeling. If we can do that, if we can become more curious individuals, and if we can learn how to have a dialogue with people who believe differently than we are, rather than quickly passing judgments on them, maybe that would help us navigate this whole issue of religious freedom. I know the times that I've been willing to do that, I've learned a lot, and I've also created some friendships out of that. Perhaps that's something you might be interested in trying. Be a little less quick to pass judgment. Try to be a little bit more understanding. Try to be a little curious. You could try it this week. You could try it today. Just be a little bit more curious. And perhaps a country that still values religion and a diversity of religion, perhaps we will be able to navigate this whole issue of religious freedom a little bit better. You know, I'm interested in what your thoughts are. And for those of you who have taken the time to email me, thank you. Thank you very much for doing that. And I enjoy being able to reply back to you. If you're willing to share with me your ideas, I encourage you to email me at the, the address that you see below. For those of you who are interested, I'm gonna show the image that was displayed, displayed in class. However, this is your warning. If you don't wanna see it, when I say stop, then don't turn off your screen, turn off, if you're watching this on video, turn it off because we need to understand each other and where we're coming from. This issue isn't gonna go away very easily, but it can be handled differently. So whatever you're doing, I hope you are staying safe out there and that you'll take care of each other. And now here's the image, so stop.